Hey guys, it's uh, Andy here in another episode of the Mountain Malarkey Podcast with Dave. Hello everybody. How are we doing, Dave? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Got something a little different today. Very different, yeah. So what we've done is we realised that uh, when we do the Tuesday tune-in over on Facebook, um, which we've been doing during lockdown, we had some comments and requests around, um, you know, not everyone's on Facebook, but people still wanted to hear about the content. There's been some great stuff. We've talked about bags. We've talked about Battle of the Treks. We've talked about trekking boots, mindset, fitness, loads of stuff. And we thought to ourselves, well, why don't we turn these into podcasts? Because... Like you said, Dave, they're, they're sitting down listening for an hour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, we've got a couple of we had a couple of special guests, didn't we? We had a new head of operations over in Nepal. Yeah, uh, Lee Wardle, Ironman triathlete, um, gym owner, and all around nice guy. Um, yeah, and there's there's so much good information and good content there that, and not everybody is on Facebook or yeah can sit there and watch a video for an hour and a bit doing nothing. So yeah, this is a great format. You can do it on the go, put it in your car, listen to it. It's a bit interactive, so you're going to have seen us answer questions and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, but if you're listening to this, obviously, yeah. um, and you have any questions about any of the things you hear, uh, podcast at evertrack.co.uk. Awesome, Dave. Yeah, enjoy the episode, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, all the best. Great stuff. We're in, finally. Cool. Right. Yeah, hey, everyone. Um, Andy and Pete here, um, all the way from Evertrack HQ, so another Tuesday tuning. Um, yeah, it's been a mad week, isn't it, Dave? It's... Uh, after the, the competition last week? Yeah, yeah, pretty busy, pretty busy. I haven't left the office. So <laughs> uh, no, yeah, no, it's been awesome. Yeah, it's really good. I see people that are hey, Chris, Reese, Kate, Dave, Patrick, Simon. Yeah, nice to see uh, all the usuals on. But yeah, if you have joined us, just give us a little thumbs up um, and say hello. It's always nice to see who's on. And yeah, uh, as always, these are Q&A sessions. So we're here for you guys. Any question at all to do with any of our trips or yeah. anything really, you know, as always, um, you know, just, just comment with them. Um, and me and Dave will, will discuss them. So yeah. Um, Dave, what's today about? Uh, right. Well, today is about a subject that I know is very close to your heart or rather your lungs. And, um, <laughs> it's one that, um, it came up in conversation a few times there. We've had quite a few emails this week about people yeah. asking, about how certain conditions, but primarily asthma, yeah. um, can actually affect um, you know your health at high altitude, and whether the two are connected, and whether you know having asthma means that you can no longer go to a low oxygen environment like Everest Base Camp or Kilimanjaro. Um, yeah, and Andy's here to basically tell you all about it because um, <laughs> he is um, a lifetime asthma sufferer. Um, yeah. I'm not, but um, but you know, it's really good to have Andy here and to be able to talk yeah. to people because the information that I'm getting a lot of is that people, you know, they they've not done Kilimanjaro for years yeah. because they've automatically assumed because they have asthma that they can't do it. But yeah. I don't think that's necessarily the case, right, Ant? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, cheers, Dave. It's it's one of those. I mean. The thing is that the reason we're discussing it today is is it's cropped up a lot over the last sort of few weeks, really. And you know, we've had several emails um, just dropping in, and it's it's a common theme. Um, you know, we've on, on these lives we've talked loads about equipment, mindset, fitness. Um, you know, we did a lot of different things, and we thought, well, we haven't really talked about this kind of side of things, really. So asthma is a big one. Um, yeah, I mean, 
you know, I, I've been suffering it since I was born. Um, it's just one of those things. It kind of, I'd say, you know, years ago, it, it sort of held me back fitness-wise until I was an adult. Um, you know, you, they do say you kind of grow out of it. I've been a bit unfortunate. I've never really grown out of it. But, um, yeah, when it comes to high altitude, it's, uh, I know I've written sort of pieces before about it. There's, there's a good article on the website, actually, on the Knowledge Centre. Yeah. But today, so asthma is you know, there's different forms of it, different levels. Some people have it very, very mild. Some people get it from cold. Some people get it from dust, um, you know, or allergies. Uh, there's lots of different sort of ways that can trigger asthma. But when you're at high altitude, it is a natural conception. You think, okay, you go into a more oxygen-deprived environment. It should be harder for asthmatics, right? That's what we're uh, – naturally our brains are thinking – but actually, it's it's kind of the opposite. Um, like I, I thought, the biggest thing that put me off from um, you know years ago from going to the Himalayas was will I be all right? Will I be safe? You know, I remember I was, I was sitting on a beach in Thailand reading Into Thin Air um, you know, years ago, and I was thinking, I wonder how I would be if I was at high altitude. Anyway, you know, fast forward to when I first went to high altitude, which was Everest Space Camp, and yeah, I was surprised to find that it was actually okay. It was no difference to being at sea level. You know, if I got out of breath, like you would if you were, you know, like like me and Dave, if you're out of breath, go to pill, you kind of slow down. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if I needed my inhaler, um, which, you know, on the first time I went to high altitude, I didn't use it once. Um, you know, it wasn't triggered at all. I mean, there's been times since where I've been a high altitude and I've had to take it because maybe my body's been a bit weaker. Um, sorry, Dave, I'm just going deep into it now. <laughs> I feel like I'm... You carry on, you carry on. You carry on. <laughs> um yeah so it, it it is a big thing and yeah i mean anyone that's watching i just wanted to sort of reassure you that look as long as you've got it sort of under control that you can you've got your medication and if you go on a high altitude trip that you take that with you and it's, it's exactly the same process as if you were hiking at sea level yeah. um there is some science actually just to go into it that um asthmatics do perform really well because in the different parts of the lungs I hope I'm almost accurate now. I've, speak, I've spoken to a few doctors about this. And it's, you've got different sort of sections of your lungs. Um, I remember I used to do sort of free diving. And, you know, I was never the best because, you know, unfortunately my lungs aren't as good as most people. But, um, you know, they used to say that you can almost, there's a couple of parts of your lungs that kind of aren't used very often. Um, but breath hold divers do use that, um, you know, because they trained how to do it. But basically when you're on high altitude, your body uses the best parts of your lungs because it maximizes the proficiency of it. And I think with asthmatics, because we've already got that issue, you know, where our bodies have to normally on a day-to-day -day basis use the best part of your lungs, yeah. it's almost like second nature. So I think, and you know, people have climbed Everest with asthma. Um, obviously, they've got to Everest Base Camp, Kilimanjaro. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a biggie. Um, so I just wanted to sort of front load that really, the live today that, you know, although we're going to do, do questions around it, and, and, and normally, as ever, Dave, we'll talk about one subject, we'll still get onto boots. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you guys here that want to ask about boots, bags, yeah. tents, all of that stuff, you know, feel free. Um, it's always an open forum, but um, no, yeah, it's always interesting, I think, to hear about that, because uh, what it kind of leads on to is, you know, that everyone has, like, anxieties and fears about going on, well, not everyone, but a, a significant amount of people do. Yes. Um, you know, I noticed Max is on here as well. A big thing for him was fear of yeah. Good to see you, Max. You know, I've lost count of the amount of telephone calls I've had with people where we discuss, you know, the exposure and heights and what the bridge crossings are like and stuff like that. 
But ultimately, I think what we want to try and do, because anyone that's interested in anything like an adventure travel experience, Kilimanjaro, Everest, Machu Picchu, anything like that, they've always got the one thread that we've all got in common is we all have that sense of adventure lurking in the back of our head, you know, driving us through this sort of thing. And I believe that that nurturing that part of your body and that part of your brain can help you overcome almost anything. I mean, clearly, if you have asthma or anything like that, go go see your doctor beforehand, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, and get whatever medication, help, and advice you need from a healthcare professional. But don't let it override that adventurous part of the brain that's like pushing you to do these amazing things. Because yeah, every time I, I I think that we've reached sort of what's physically possible, some crazy person will come along and completely change my mindset on it. You know, like there was. Going back, there was a guy, Iron Cowboy something his name is. I want to say Jones, but I don't know if it is Jones. 50 Ironman triathlons in 50 states in 50 days. You know, and then um, NIMS, you know, all 14 of the 8,000 does in under seven months. You know, so whatever you guys do, we can usually find a way to to do it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I know some questions just cropping up already. This is is great, guys. Yeah, I say any questions, any of you watching the live, Great to see some of you on, you know, Kate, Max. Um, yeah, yesterday, uh, j- just to drop in, in Wales, the um, the national parks were open yesterday. Yeah. And um, myself and, and Max, who's just joined us on the live, we went out and took on um, one of our sort of favorite peaks. And, yeah, it was just nice to get out. First time in four months that we were out in the mountains. So uh, well, well overdue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was fantastic. And, yeah, all of you, it, uh, I know – it's kind of strange because it shouldn't be this way. I personally, I believe this, but I know all the different countries in the UK are kind of having their staggered lockdown releases. Um, but yeah, enjoy that first hike when you get out. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I'm still waiting for a haircut to be fair. <laughs> well, you've been waiting for that for two years, Dave. So yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. But yeah, 13th of July, I think we're going to open up like shops and hairdressers yeah. and things like that. And that's going to be a big, uh, a big sort of red letter day in my life, I think. When I think <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'll bring you some questions. So I think we got one from Carla. Yeah. Carla's here. I'm just trying to find your question because our social Yeti Lauren is um, just dropping in the question. So um, let's have a little look. Where's Carla? Can you see Carla on there, Dave? Maybe she's dropped it in. Yeah, I think got Carla Harrison. So, yeah, no, she, it's, it's on Messenger. So what's the minimum yes. age restrictions on the Tupgal trek? Okay. Yeah, I mean, with, with with any of our trips, um, you know, if you're going solo, you have to be over 18. But generally, we're, we're happy to have a conversation around it. Um, you know, we get some people who book um, their trips to, say, Everest Base Camp, and they're taking, like, a 12-year-old. But it always depends on on the, on the actual child. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know some 12-year-olds that probably wouldn't be comfortable on a, on a mountain. And you've got others that are actually hardcore. I mean... I think the youngest person that climbed Everest was 12, you know, which is pretty crazy. Um, I think it's 12 anyway, 14, one of the two. But anyway, it, it just depends on, on the child. So definitely get in touch with us, Carla, if, you know, because it's um, just a good to have a conversation. And ultimately, a decision comes down to you. Yeah. Uh, you know, as long as they're insured, as long as you think that they're comfortable. Mount Tupacal is, I say easy. Um, you know, it touches altitude at, say, 4,160 meters, I think it is. Um, you know, but you're not there for long. It is a tough hike, but you're up and down quite quickly. Altitude yeah. doesn't really come into it that much. Um, it's a good, you know, test for the first stage to, to feel what altitude's like if you haven't felt it before. But, um, you know, normally you can get down really quick. You're in, you know, you're relatively close to 
um, villages um, that are literally you know not far away. Um, you got the Berber villages. Um, you got Imlil, which isn't isn't too far away. Um, you know, from the refuge, if you like, uh, from the base of Tupcal. Yeah. Yeah. There's the, you know, if anything, if you get them comfortable, you can obviously come back down. Um, but it's uh, it's a cool. Yeah. So definitely, Carla, let's have a chat about it if, if you want to. And, and we can ch- chat about maybe a time of year that might be easier. Because I definitely think summer might be better than winter. Just thinking the age because of the winter conditions are yeah. a bit challenging. Um, yeah. I think uh, any other questions, Dave? So, yeah. Um, let's have a quick look now. Olivia. Olivia. It's a big one. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. All-time okay. favorite climb trek. That's a tough one. To be honest, I think I'm going to – I would probably say the first time I reached Everest Base Camp was the the biggest – well, it's the one that certainly had the biggest impact on my life since. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's a, it's almost split in hairs, really, because, you know, Summit in Killy for the first time is amazing. Yeah. Um, but I think the first time that I ever went to Everest Base Camp was like a realization of a lot of different things in one crowning moment, you know. So I'd wanted to see Everest all my life. I'd wanted to visit Nepal and trek there all my life, summit yeah. mountains out there. And um, I think for the majority of my sort of life, I don't know why, but I had, I had assumed that it wouldn't happen, that it was something that other people did. And then to find myself actually stood on the Kumbu Glacier right by the icefall, looking up yeah. at Everest and realizing that actually these things are doable, um, you know, not just by elite mountaineers and altitude junkies, but by everyday people, you know, yeah. like myself. And, yeah, just getting out in the hills with a pack on my back, um, yeah, it was amazing. That's probably the best best one for me. Yeah, I think it's kind of weird because, yeah, you're right, like having just done Killy is one of the best experiences ever, um, you know, reaching the summit and seeing that sunrise, you know, it definitely gets you emotional. But I think, yeah, for me, because, again, going back to the asthma side of it, because I wanted to prove to myself that I could get to my altitude, I think, and the first time for me was Everest Base Camp and the history that goes around it. I think for me, it's Everest Base Camp. Yeah. Again, you know, we hate, that's because of my personal story. But, you know, whether you could do Kili or Everest Base Camp or Machu Picchu or any peak, um, it's your own, I say your own Everest. You yeah. Know, that's a cliche, but it is. It, it's really what you get out of it. And, any trip you go on will be amazing. But I would say, why don't you go on both? <laughs> why don't you go on them and try them? And then you can tell us what your favorite is. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answered your question, Olivia. And, uh, yeah, good question to start off there. Thank you. Um, yeah, Mark makes a good point here. I know you brief- briefly touched on it. Just while we're talking about asthma, uh, Mark mentions about, um, you know, a uh, system your doctor, Dave, I know you mentioned. And, yeah, you know, as a professional trekking company, we, we always say, look, if there's any medical issues, um, you know, chat to your GP first or a high altitude doctor. Um, I mean, our, our advice here always comes from experience, but, you know, we've got relationships with doctors, with, you know, like people at the Altitude Center who use science-based approach, you know, so our, that's that's where our advice comes from and personal approach as well, but I appreciate everyone is different. Exactly, uh, yeah. You know, and before making that decision, you know, maybe if, if that's what you want, go and see your doctor, you know, yeah. if it gives you that peace of mind. It's also sort of links in with, you know, um, Oh, who was who was asking about the the youngest age? You know, when you're taking someone who's sort of, yeah younger than eighteen, yeah. um, you know, who's not sort of in the eyes of the law an adult or able to you know make informed decisions. You know, at yeah. adventure travel like going to altitude, particularly like the high, the really high like Kilimanjaro. You know, it's one of those things where people need to understand that it's not completely risk free. You know, there is an element of 
sort of risk whenever you go to high altitude with what yeah. can happen to the body and things like that. So when you are taking someone who you're responsible for, it's knowing that fact before you go so you can make an informed decision about the person who's actually going to be with you. Exactly. Uh, having said that, you know, most most young kids, teenagers these days who run circles around us, you know. <laughs> they're quite, yeah, they're quite, yeah, yeah. The really difference is whether they're sort of aware of what they're getting themselves into, you know. I certainly yeah. wouldn't take a toddler up Kilimanjaro, for instance, or anything like that. No. Um, but, yeah, Dave, Dave uh, good for joining. Thanks for joining us again, mate. Um, you mentioned about leaving a small flag uh, to join BC. But, yeah, I mean, you know, we're always – I've seen people do this loads of times, leaving a memorial, because some people, you know, again, it's if it's an emotional story. I know some people have left pictures of people who passed on, um, you know, wrote on the rocks, you know, whatever is good. I mean, we always like to approach it from a, you know, we don't want to leave anything there really. You know, because uh, you know, leave only footprints. Um, yeah. You know, take any photos, sort of thing. Um, but look, if it's got that much meaning to you and you want to, then there's no harm. I mean, there's flags there anyway. Um, you know, it's it's a very clean place. We want to keep it that way. But Dave, if it's something that you want to do, then you know, we've got no dramas around that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've um, that I'd recommend for people is so I was having this chat with some guys on the phone the other day. We were talking about taking um, a football scarf and leaving it there. Yeah. And obviously, you know, everybody's got a different patterns and things like that. My thing is, you know, if you're going to go there um, and take a scarf or something, take a photo, that'd be awesome. But if you want to leave a memorial um, there, what yeah. you can do is pick up a rock at the beginning of the trail. So as you go through the archway in Lukla, pick yeah. up a rock and you can write something on the rock. Yeah. Carry it with you to base camp and put it there. It's a great that'd idea. Be- you know, you're not taking anything or leaving anything. You're just moving it slightly. <laughs> you know, I like that. Do that. Hey, uh, namaste, Padam as well. Padam's, Padam's on, isn't it? Hey, great yeah, stuff. Great to see one of our guys, Padam, on here. Yeah, audience well, guide from Nepal. Um, a few of you, I think Ramona might have been with Padam. She was, yeah, on her on yeah. first trek with us. She's going to, I know she's on a training weekend, but she's booked in all the other trips with us as well. So, uh, yeah, excited to have you with us. Yeah. Um, Leah has uh, mentioned couple of questions but yeah ever had an asthmatic whose trigger was the cold yeah i mean it's for me uh, my, mine has always been the cold um cold and exercise those are the two things that for me and um so yeah you know if you get if, if if that's a normal trigger for you uh what i used to do is wear like a neck buff um or if you're wearing a big jacket so the cover comes up around here always usually helps um, the neck buff is big um it keeps the dust out and it keeps um you know you're almost looking after the core here just by having a neck buff so that kind of helps definitely. But again, Leo, it's the same as if you're, you know, you're in, in the, in the UK or abroad or Australia, US, South Africa, wherever you're from. Um, it's the same as where you're hiking. Just make sure you, you know, you keep that neck buff on um, yeah. and how you approach it at sea level will be the same way as you approach it at altitude. Obviously there's going to be some cold nights, um, you know, but it's never, it's never stopped uh, anyone from doing it. Yeah. Um, so, um, that, uh, two, two comments here. Nigel says he's loving the tanker paintings. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, um, so if I show you sort of the wall. That's your board of love, isn't it? That's the wall of love. So I've got the deity up there. That's a hand-painted, the black and white with the red. That's Everest. And then other tankers and my mandala. And this is my Killy Summit certificate. Yeah. Um, but then you'll get one of those if you book announced. When will the, you, the new Yeti be announced? And I'm assuming, I mean, I think I know what you're on about, but I'm going to pretend you're on about the Yeti that we asked you to name. Uh, <laughs> you can't see it, but this is now a name here. This is now, um, it's been chosen Betty the Yeti. 
Yeah, Betty the Yeti. I think they're all about the um, the actual new Yeti that will. I know I am aware of that, and I am aware of that. But <laughs> it's an opportunity. To I know mean, Betty the Yeti is important to you, mate. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we need to prioritise here. New staff is one thing, but this is Betty. <laughs> um olivia's um sorry yeah olivia's just another question about um you know is it mostly people from the uk uh mix of internationals and how many in a group good questions so yes um you know most people because we're you know we're based in the uk and we, we primarily have loads of uk customers but we've had loads of groups from the us australia new zealand south africa netherlands poland we've yeah. um, you know over the last sort of 12 18 months we, we've kind of opened up a little bit um and trying to expand and the end of the day uh, because we're we're a land only operator, if you like, um, it doesn't matter where you come from, and you know we're we're, we're an inclusive company. It doesn't matter where you're from. Um, everyone has a laugh, has a great time. Uh, we've had some great mixed groups. Um, you know, in terms of how many in a group, so yeah, it depends. We usually cap our trips at sort of fifteen. We've had to um, due to COVID quite recently. We've had to almost uh, think a little bit because of, of sort of lack of dates and we had to move people. For instance, from Nepal, there was like 250, 300 people who couldn't go last April and May and summer March. So they've now moved into um, sort of autumn and then into next year. So what we've done is we kind of run two groups parallel, um, you know, but generally it's 15 people is kind of the max. But on average, I'd say, Dave, 8 to 12 on average group size? 8, eight to 12, yeah, depending on the trip, you know. So if yeah. it's like, uh, Everest Base Camp or Killy, you can pretty much expect 12-ish. Um, yeah. Say-ish because it might be 13 or 14, but generally 12. If it's like Three Peaks or Gokyo, maybe about 8. Yeah, it's usually a bit smaller, isn't it, yeah. And then if it's like Ultimate Island Peak, that's like one to four usually. But sometimes they we have like a group of 10, but, you know, on average, one to four. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, whilst Olivia's on here, because she's coming up with some great questions, and I, we will go through everyone's questions, but... I've well, Olivia. This is a good one for you. Uh, was it? Uh, what happens if you have anxiety? Is it common for those with anxiety with regards to breathing? Is it any... Uh, so, yeah. So, I've... Um, I totally get the, the, the question, Olivia. So my, uh, myself uh, have had a generalized anxiety condition diagnosed since I was 18. Yeah. Um, so I certainly am familiar with the, the problem. I think that um, controlling the anxiety when you're out there is it's a bit of a difficult one. So I suppose if you have an anxiety attack at altitude, it's going to be harder to catch your breath. But it's about managing, the, managing it all the way for me. You know, yeah. so basically day by day, step by step, you know, I talk to people. If I'm feeling anxious or something like that, I'll pull someone aside. It's usually I'm sharing a room with Andy and I'll just say, oh, man, I had a bad day or whatever like that. It's, but yeah. honestly, I think if you just focus on the reason the why you actually booked the trip and why you're there, you know, remember I was saying about that sense of adventure that's in the back that can yeah. get overrided by the fears that people have. Well, that comes from a lot of personal experience because it, it's, you know, I could have maybe gone to Everest Base Camp 10 years earlier than I did had I not let those fears like overrun my decision making. But now I think it's about having that sense of adventure, yeah, relaxing and accepting the environment that you're in and also just educating yourself beforehand, you know, so you're not really surprised by anything. Altitude is going to make you feel weird. You know, the, your body is going to not react the same way as it does at sea level. But that's nothing to panic about, you know. Yeah. Um, everything will return to normal as soon as you come down. So, yeah, I think I try and concentrate on the fun aspect of it. I concentrate on the social aspect. I'll talk to people. 
And if I do start to feel like I'm having an anxiety attack or a panic attack in any scenario, the first thing that I'll do is just acknowledge it right off the bat and talk to someone about it, you know, and talk it through with someone. I know it's incredibly hard and not everybody's the same, but I think that um, trying to suppress those feelings doesn't really do much. To me, it's yeah. like shaking up a fizzy bottle with a lid on. Every time you suppress it, it just gets ready to go. Where if I am feeling unhappy, I mean, I give you an example. So April 2019, I had shingles before. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I went to base camp, probably still with, a, you know, literally my the rash sort of went away about three days before I went to base camp. I didn't know that it can take it out of you for a long time. And I started to feel unwell. I was having a lot of pain and stuff like that. And it started to affect me like that. And, uh, you know, I just talked to Andy about it and register it and have someone with you that's there to kind of like let you know that it's normal. Yeah. Stay in your own head for too long. Just accept the world as beautiful as it is and enjoy your trip. Nice. I can talk more about this. So if you want to have a <laughs> conversation on it, but um, no, no, I've talked about that, Dave. Um, yeah, we'll move on then. Uh, Niaz uh, asked us general age group people on the trip. So, yeah, uh, across all of our trips, actually, it's it's generally between 35 to 55 on average. Um, you know, we get a good mix. Like, it's not always, you know, full of youngsters or full of, uh, you know, people who are mature. Um, I was trying to think of the word then. <laughs> it completely missed me. But, yeah, it's a good mix uh, on all of our trips. Um, you know, so definitely, you know, if, if age... If you want to know sort of a group that you're looking at or a date that you're looking at, and you're sort of saying maybe, you know, if you want to be with a younger group, you know, that's fine. We appreciate that. Um, you know, ask us and we could we could have a look. But generally, you know, we like to think that you go on any group and you'll have a good time regardless of yeah. age. You know, some of our best friends are 20 years older than us, um, you know, in terms of when you're on a trip. It's, it's great. It's good to have a good mix. Um, the same with sort of split male-females as well. We tend to get more solo females on our trip. Um, whereas the guys always tend to go, I mean, I don't know why this is, but I've just talked about stats now. Um, the guys always seem to go with a mate. Um, you know, we generally get that, um, on our, on our trips. Uh, I mean, you know, we do get some guys who go on their own, but mainly it seems to be solo women. Um, but yeah, what else questions have we got? Uh, Aaron, um, yeah, I, I need to like, it's asked last time and I was like, Bade or Bardet, I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, have we heard anything about uh, COVID um, and how it's affected those people who have had it but not been tested and whether that'll be altituded and whether that has an effect with insurance and things like that? So the honest answer is because it, it, it's new to everybody. You yeah. Know? Um, insurance companies that would cover you for like helicopter evacuation to every space camp, I don't think that they would class that as an ongoing condition or previous medical condition. I think the main things that affect you are like chronic conditions, you know, like diabetes, heart disease. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff like that is what tends to sort of cause the insurance people to go, ah, but, um, to be honest, I don't know. Uh, I think it largely depends on the individual and how they're feeling. Yeah. Um, I know that it does in severe cases can cause some scar tissue on the lungs, which might affect your breathing for some time afterwards. Yeah. I think that if anyone has had anything like COVID and and doesn't feel full fitness, then and now booked on a trip, then we'll we will move the trip. Because in my opinion, I think if you're not a hundred percent in yourself, yeah. then it's best to sort of 
postpone and go when Check you are. First. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, that's only from my own experience, you know, going to base camp uh, after shingles. I mean, I made it to base camp and I got down and I was fine. Um, but it was a lot harder than I think it needed to be. Um, yeah. Had I waited maybe six months, I could have gone and had a completely different trip and it wouldn't have been as difficult as it was and I could have enjoyed it a lot more. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that kind of answers it. Everything about COVID is a bit woolly at the moment, so hopefully that's yeah. Answered. It's difficult, isn't it? Because it's there's it's always new stuff coming out as well, and I'm always conscious of what you hear in the media and what is fact. You know, I, I'd always like to see some facts, but they never seem to be there. Um, so you're always kind of, you know, I got a lot of friends who work in the NHS, and you know, they fed a little bit of advice to me, but you, it's hard to then sort of talk about that without it being fact. Um, but yeah, I think it's almost. Karen, I think it's almost like, like we're, you know, if we do hear about anything around that, because we're always chatting to like the Altitude Centre we recently collaborated with, and like they, they come from a the scientific point of view. If there's anything that does come about around that, we'll definitely update you. Um, yeah, so a good question. Um, Lee has asked about the Kili Guides, uh, Swahili speakers. Yeah, so they're all from Tanzania, yeah. um, and the national language is Swahili uh, in Tanzania. There's actually, I think there's over 70 languages in Tanzania. Uh, or even more than that, because of different dialects. Yeah, it's a lot of languages. They're they're multi bilingual. Yeah, there's loads. Yeah, you know, but, speak um, English as well. You know. Yeah. So they do speak English, but yeah, you'll get used to it. You know, mambo. But um, yeah, one of those phrases are great. Are they mambo, poa, habari, nasuri. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Leah. Ah, awesome. Let's jump into it. Boots. Right now, we're getting into it. <laughs> <laughs> Always boots. Yeah, so, um, yeah, if you're doing, uh, I'm assuming Kilimanjaro, but mind you, Everest, you still start off in a forest sort of thing as well. Um, so, yeah, personally, I can give you a specific recommendation. I think the Mandel Bhutans are the best boots that I've used so far for hiking. Um, they were recommended to me, yeah. uh, but I didn't get them initially because I'd stayed away from leather boots for such a long time because of the worries about breaking them in and stuff like that. But actually, those Mandel Bhutans were they required no breaking in really i wore them casually just out and about for two weeks before i went to base camp certainly didn't go hiking in them and they were perfect and since then they've done base camp twice in killy and um and i'm i i love them so much yeah. i'm worried that one day they'll go obsolete and i won't be able to get them again so i'm considering stockpiling these mingle bhutans you know buying like about five pairs so that should be a lifetime supply um but yeah I think you don't need any mountaineering boots. Um, we recommend boots over sort of trainers, like, you know, the uh, approach shoes, just for the ankle support and extra sort of sole support and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, yeah nice. look at those. Um, now, Dave's always the one with equipment. But, uh, Scott, really good question. Thought I'd uh, just um, answer this one. You mentioned about sorting um, sort of dates. With, with, with us, you know, when you pay a deposit, which is a lifetime deposit, meaning that you can move your date anytime. Um, you know, we've, we've realized, I mean, even before COVID happened, we've always been really flexible. And I think that's, um, you know, that's been handy, um, you know, especially because we haven't really been involved with flights. I know it is a, it's a big issue, but it's meant that we can reschedule a date quite easy. Um, you know, as long as it's not like a few days before you arrive, but generally, you know, we know life happens, things happen in life, you know, and uh, you get injured, maybe you have an, you know, unexpected baby. You know, it, it, there's things that happen, and we've always been as try and flexible as we can. So, say you booked on to say autumn 21, um, and then come maybe next summer, you're like, okay, uh, it's not going to be possible now. Can I move it to 2022 uh, and beyond? Then, look, just give us a bell, and we'll move you on to a different date. It's not a problem. 
um, it's quite easy for us to do. And look, if you've booked with us, uh, say you've done Everest Base Camp, we've done Killy, we're going to get you to Killy. We're going to get you to Everest Base Camp. That's what we're here for. We're, we're, we're trekkers and hikers just like you guys. And, you know, if, if I booked on a trip uh, that I really wanted to go on, I'd, yeah, I'm going to go on that trip, even if I injure myself. And, you know, it's just a matter of when. So just yeah. know, Scott, um, if anything like that. And, yeah, we, we'd love to have you with us, mate. Awesome. Uh, brilliant update at the moment. Um, it's Bardet, not Bardet. So here we go. Thanks, Darren. Um, that, that's, yeah, uh, get it right next time, Dave. All right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Leah, uh, was it yeah. Leah masturbate the boots? I think it was. Yes, uh, it was. Yes. Sell those boots. Yeah. So um, I've just told Lauren and Lauren's going to bounce it to you. It's the Mandel Boutans. They do ones. Uh, they do women's as well, which I think are designed for a narrower foot. Not 100% sure, but try them both, see which one works for you. I know some girls that like a wider one, so they use the dudes one. Yeah, yeah, Amanda made a good point as well. Go outdoors. They do price match and take 10% off. Yeah, they're really good, actually, with the Mandel Boutans. Don't forget as well, if you do book with us, get your, your discount code for Cotswold Outdoor. Yeah. Uh, 10% off. Um, you can download the voucher. It's a brand new voucher as well to the end of the year because they do it every year. So we'll update the new one when we get the new one. Amanda got 70 quid off for those. That's awesome. That's pretty damn good, actually. Yeah, I, I, it's not like <laughs> idea of... Yeah. Uh, let's have a little look. What else we got? we got lots here. Again, lots of boots. It's funny because before me and Dave always start these lives, like, right, we're going to talk about this. But Dave, you can tackle the boots questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's, because, it's just because... Yeah. I'm a degenerate with them, you know, like I just <laughs> about 12 pairs because it took me that long to land on the Mandel. So the reason why yeah. I'm hanging on about them all the time is because they've, they've been marvelous for me. Um, and yeah. I, I want to clarify, actually, an important part of the boot, which is often overlooked, is when you buy a pair of boots, you need to get a really good insole. Some of them come with a good insole. Personally, I didn't think the Mandels did. So I bought the yeah. Superfeet Trailblazer insoles. Largely because they were like 35 quid for a pair of insoles, and I was kind of intrigued as to why. So, um, again, being the degenerate I am, I bought them. The, I had to cut them with a Stanley blade to get them to fit properly. But actually, I mean, just amazing. They are yeah. brilliant. And for me, at least, they put so much stability under my feet that, like, I was having a bad knee, and that's almost gone now, you know, just yeah. from hiking. I don't really suffer with my knee anymore. And it was all down to the stability underfoot. So, yeah, that's, that's been an amazing, uh, amazing one. Yeah, great stuff. Um, I'm just going through all the questions here. Cheers, guys. There's some loads of questions. But apologies, we're just trying to go through all of them before we lose them there. But Chris asked a really good one. Great to see you all here, Chris. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, just about taking different pain relief, altitude sickness relief, medication, EBC. Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, <laughs> i got to be honest, we probably take more pills at high altitude than <laughs> – it's kind of weird because you're like, I'm not used to taking this amount of medication. But, look, yeah. using painkillers – um you know for headaches and things that's fine what the problem is is if you're constantly 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 hiding it you know um if you're taking it and then it doesn't go within a few days you know this is where you need to sort of think okay this isn't going away now uh, yeah. you know the, the painkillers clearly aren't working you don't want to mask symptoms for a big length of time um you know but you know in saying that you know i've used painkillers and dave has um also diamox as well you mentioned around um High altitude medication, which is uh, Diamox, or uh, Cetalizamide, they call it, and you, you can use that. Yeah. Um, you know, back, I'd say a couple of years ago, we kind of had a different mindset on it. Now, it's it's a great tool at, at your disposal. I mean, our guides carry it, 
some people like to take their own. Uh, we took our own last time. I didn't actually use them, but I know most of the team did. I did, yeah. I think you were the only person that didn't on Kilimanjaro. Yeah, it seemed to be all right, but I know that, Dave, you took it for the first time, really. And, yeah, I mean, tell us about your experiences. With yeah, exactly. I mean, so with regards to the painkillers, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. I think you made a really good point there, which is, to be honest, everybody does. Because getting a mild headache is normal for altitude. It's like yeah. going out in the rain and getting wet. You go to altitude, you might get a headache. So yeah. you will naturally take some gonna happen, yeah. paracetamol and yeah. stuff like that just to take the edge off. But it's important <laughs> to acknowledge it and not just take the pills and forget about it. Yeah. So if you take a couple of pills and it doesn't get better and it gets progressively worse, then that's something you need to be aware of and talk to the guide about. So, yeah, it's a good point Andy made there about, you know, there's a difference between sort of helping your headache and masking the overall symptoms of something. Yeah, you, you uh, don't want to be doing that. I mean, it's, ultimately, altitude will win. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, limited altitude, as much as you can have, Yeah, you know, but, as but, we like to say. <laughs> but when I first started trekking altitude, I never took Dymox, and I never wanted to, because I, I wanted yeah. to, like, I don't know whether it was ego or what, I don't think so, but, you know, I wanted to know that I could do it, you know. Yeah. But my, my views have completely changed on it now. Now I believe that it doesn't make a blind bit of difference how you get there. You know, yeah, if, exactly, you, yeah. if you want to reach Everest Base Camp and you want to get the achievement, you know, and Diamox is the way for you to do it safely, yeah. then that's what you need to do to do it safely. It doesn't diminish anything. Um, and, yeah, it's that realization is because I've done the many trips now, mainly to Everest Base Camp, but also on Kili, which I'll get to. And... I've seen people, you know, upset in tears because they think the trip is over because they're so resistant to taking the Diamox. And once you sit them down and you have a conversation, <laughs> they'll take a Diamox tablet and then they wake up the morning and they're feeling great again. Yeah. All of a sudden they're able to enjoy the trip and shed a tear at base camp and achieve something amazing. And yeah. you know, does it really matter? You know, um, yeah, it 100%. exactly. And then last February uh, on Kilimanjaro, I had the Diamox again, but my usual thing is, you know, I'll, I'll start the trip with the Diamox yeah. there, and if I need it, I'll take it. And I got to about day four, I think it was, uh, where we go up to Lava Tower. Yeah. Day three or four. And, yeah, I just oh. started feeling unusual. Because, you know, I know how I react to altitude, and I wasn't reacting the same. I started yeah. to feel a bit like my gait was off, and I was a little bit dizzy and things like that. So, um and I just thought to myself, well, I'm going to I'm gonna do the, the safe and responsible thing and I'm going to take Diamox because I can yeah. look after myself. And if I'm feeling well and strong, I can also maybe look after other people. And everybody should think that way. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And good I point. started half a pill in the evening and then half a pill the next morning, and I stuck to that routine until I got back down. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I felt, I felt fine, you know, and it, it, it made the difference. I was able to celebrate on the summit with Andy and the rest of the guys. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing. So my argument is, yes, if you need Diamox or you want to take Diamox or it's safe for you, safer for you to take Diamox, yeah. 100% take it. If you have a bad knee, you'll take ibuprofen. If you have a headache, you'll take paracetamol. If you have altitude, you'll take Diamox. Um, just Mark Skinner, because he's caught my eye, will the GP prescribe it? They should do. Yes. Now, Some don't, do they? Some don't like to. Yeah, the difference is that it's not designed for altitude. I believe it was designed for glycoma. Yeah, now, epilepsy, is it something like that? Yeah, I think glycoma and epilepsy. But yeah. it's now almost exclusively used, I think, for altitude sickness. Yes, yeah. to prevent altitude sickness. So, but not every GP is an altitude specialist. They don't know what its use is for, and yeah. they're a bit reluctant to prescribe you something that they're not 
sure about. So what I recommend is go to a travel clinic like Nomad um, and you can go in there and meet a nurse who's a travel specialist who understands altitude and altitude sickness and diamox and they can prescribe it for you and everything else as well like your malaria pills and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, good point, Dave. I'm just going to bring it in here before it disappears because I saw it. Brian, current feeling and viability of the autumn book trips? Yeah, big question. Um, so basically at the moment, um, Brian, I know there's been a few people here who have sort of asked about it. Um, you know, we're, we're really positive about going ahead. I mean, at the moment, um, you know, Nepal are opening their borders the end of this month. Um, so we're quite excited about that. The, the issues are always, you know, you're wondering, is there going to be a second spike? Because you just don't know. I mean, you know, we're, we're like you guys. We're, you know, we're waiting for the government and we're waiting for different things to come about. Um, the, the, I suppose the benefit we have, we're constant communication with all the country's tourism boards, <laughs> you know, through our suppliers. So we kind of get information quite soon. Yeah. Um, you know, we're hoping that the two-week, uh, the 14-day quarantine is over by that time. Because it means that if you come back, you don't have to quarantine for 14 days. Yeah. Um, but as far as we're concerned, you know, our, 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 it's almost like our trips are, are, are going ahead at this moment in time. Uh, but we're always, you know, we're, that's why we're offering the flexibility. If you're, you're not happy with waiting, then you can reschedule. Um, you know, there's no charge on that. There's nothing at all. Like we said earlier, you know, we want to get you to these places. If you've yeah. booked to Everest, you've booked to go to Killy, we're going to get you there. Um, it's just a matter of time. So, you know, you can reschedule if you need to, um, although you don't have to because, you know, they, they, they're going to be going ahead at, at this moment in time. So, yeah, we, we have we have big confidence. I mean, we, every day we have a chat about it and we have we're speaking to our suppliers in Nepal. Yeah. Uh, you know, our people in, uh, you know, in the other countries and, you know, any major update, you know, if they said, OK, this, it's definitely not going to happen, then we, we'd let you guys know. But I know it's like, you know, you. It's, it's difficult, the uncertainty at the moment um, across everything. I mean, uh, you can see that, that the sort of trend is, is going really well, but you just never know. So, we're, we, you know, like you guys, we can't wait to get back on, on these adventures, you know. It's what we're here for. Um, so, yeah, we'll definitely update you uh, as soon as we can. So I hope that answers your question a little bit, Brian, and the rest yeah. of you that, that mentioned that one. Uh, well, Dave, I'm just going through. because has asked. Um, what about dodgy knees on the descent? The poles make a big difference. Yes, okay, they yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, they, it, yeah. they definitely make a big difference. Um, there's some statistic out there where they take something like 30% of the impact and weight off your knees when you're going up and down. Yeah. Um, I find them pretty helpful for going downhill, particularly on Kilimanjaro on the way down. Um, it's quite loose terrain, yeah. so being able to put them out in front of you and like yeah. get your arms involved, you know, makes sure they're not all the weight and pounding is on your legs and your knees. So it can make a huge difference. The biggest thing you can do though is slow, go slow and methodical. You know, make sure you place your feet in the right place and stuff like that. It's quite hard about altitude because you get tired and fuzzy headed. So if you see people trip. But um yeah, it's just about yeah, taking time just to plant plant your feet safely and use the poles. I always recommend poles. I never used to, I never used to use them. Yeah, but, you didn't do, yeah, I'm the same. I, I, I use them all the time now. But yeah, like when I was um in fact I'm thirty seven now, so closer to 40 than I am 30. When I was closer to 30, I wouldn't use them. Now I'm closer to 40, I'm starting to, because um, <laughs> the joints are not um, as, you know, not as good as they were before. But, um... <laughs> no, good man. No, but they do make a difference. Um, you know, you definitely make a difference. Uh, I've noticed that, because I, I always used to like to have a hand spare, just in case, you know, or I had the GoPro just holding it up. But now I use two, and it gets you in a bit of a rhythm as well. 
but you can get in with your breathing. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that's that's kind of easier because once you're in a rhythm and you just get used to it, it's, you can just take it all in. You, you, you tend to acclimatize better, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, some good questions coming up here. I know someone asked about, was it, um, are there any side, of, uh, side effects, the Diamox? I think it was um, Tony mentioned it. Tony, I'm just trying to find your question here. So, yeah, with, with Diamox, um, there are some side effects. It can... Uh, it's, it's a diuretic, so it makes you wee more. Um, yeah. you've, you've got to drink more water. And at high altitude, you're already drinking three to four litres. So you've got to add another litre onto that. That's a, a kind of biggie, um, really. Other than that, I mean, some people do say that it kind of masks. The side effects are it masks or it makes you uh, mask symptoms or it makes you unwell. Never really seen that, um, you know, from experience. Uh, but again, it's like any drug that you take. There's always going to be some side effects. Um, you know, you get, you know, say you even pick up paracetamol, you've got that little list yeah. of side effects that can happen on there. It's very similar. Very, very, very rarely will you have any bad side effects to it. Yeah. Um, you know, my, I've had my family who I've put on Diamox, most of my best friends. I'd take it if I had to. I've taken half a pill once at Gorek Shep. I just needed a good night's sleep, <laughs> um, you know, because I had a resting heart rate of 130, which was like, okay, this isn't right. Um, you know, when when it comes to it, I don't mind taking it. So, you know, it's uh, it really is like um, if if it's obviously you want to prioritize your health, but um, with Diamox, it's certainly a safe thing to use. But again, you know, chat to your GP. As Dave said, it's always good to, to chat to a specialist because not every GP understands every single drug that's out there, especially Diamox, because of high altitude. It's quite niche. So definitely speak to a travel specialist or high altitude specialist if you can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so another one is so Dave Rimmington's brought up a good point there. He seems to be quite um, yeah. Know a lot a little bit about, but well, also on the topic of vacation. Um, <laughs> and I know I think Chris Tom asked about what vaccinations and things that you have as well. So we yes. carry on that theme. Yeah, yeah. Um, with regards to the the anti-malarials, I've only yeah, tried. Yeah. I've only tried doxycycline or silene. Yeah. And um, Malaron. Yeah. Um, the, in my opinion, I didn't really have any major side effects. I know one of them, Larium, I think, can cause some degree of psychosis. So yeah. I thought, I'm uh, not going to have that one. But yeah, so the Doxy, the only downside with that is, um, I believe that's an antibiotic, and it attacks the malaria in your blood. So you have to take it two weeks before, and then for a month afterwards. <sighs> Um, so four weeks after you get back, you're still taking this antibiotic because it can take that long for the malaria to reach the blood where it gets killed off by the doxy. Um, Malarone I tried, which I think gets it in the liver, possibly in the liver. Yeah. Um, you take that for like two days before you go and then like a week after you come back. And the only side effect I had with doxy, which it turns you into a bit of a vampire. So you have to stay at a direct sunlight. Yeah, time, isn't it? Yeah. You'll burn easier. Um, and also some degree of stomach upset. So you've got to take it with like a pint of water. Um, the only side effect with malarone, and it might, it's not, it's not strictly a negative. No, it's pretty um, good. Yeah, you have like some pretty mental dreams, you yeah. know, being transported into something like a Lord of the Rings every night. When you go <laughs> to sleep, you know? It's pretty crazy, yeah. It does mess with, with your head a little bit. But again, you know, it, there's side effects to every single drug out there. But Doxy and, and malarone are two of the safest yeah um you know definitely like um you know for, for for ladies out there as well if you're on the pill um you know or you just basically have a chat with uh, your gp or travel yeah. and they'll give you the relevant 
um, you know, the relevance of anti-malarials because some anti-malarials do play that they affect the pill. So definitely have a chat with your GP or travel uh, travel clinic if you're going to like Tanzania, for instance. You don't need them if you're going to Nepal, um, yeah. but mainly, mainly Tanzania, you do need anti-malarials. Yeah, exactly. And then, so for the other things that you need to do, one of them, the, the first one that most people ask about is uh, rabies. Do you need a rabies vaccination to go to these countries? Well, rabies is considered an optional one because it's there, but it presents a low risk, and that's for Tanzania and Nepal um and any of the, the countries like that we go to yeah. so it's really up to you and you need to make a judgment call we can't make it for you and no one can i i'm fully vaccinated against it because i have a like a slight problem with petting animals that i see you know like if i see a dog on a trail he's getting a ruffle <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you're in there aren't you yeah so um yeah so if i see a dog he's getting petted <laughs> i'm making friends with that dog so, um, yeah, I've got myself fully uh, fully vaccinated. Andy has a little more self-control. He doesn't tend to go near the dog. Are you vaccinated on rabies now? No, not yet. Oh, yeah. I, I, I will be. I mean, I haven't. It's kind of weird because I've um, yeah, I've done a lot of traveling around Asia and Africa and a lot of places where rabies is is a lot. I've, it's always weird. My, historically, I've always been a bit more risque with traveling. But when it comes to um, rabies and things, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's something I'm definitely getting um for my next trip out definitely get it before then yeah um, you know and but it's it's an optional one it is it is expensive but you know it, it can be can be sort of life-saving in certain points certain points but um you know again it's an optional one you don't have to have it there's lots of optional ones like japanese encephalitis i know dave you've had that haven't you because you you pretty much go for everyone that's available right yeah 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 everything yeah everything because i'll get it because i'll get it it's so yeah. Yeah, you would. You Actually, would, yeah. Japanese encephalitis is the one I, I haven't had. It was malaria, um, meningitis. Ah, uh, meningitis. Yeah, meningitis. Everything. So if I go to a travel clinic and they say these are the list of vaccinations you need to go to Tanzania, then I'll be a pin cushion for the next half an hour while I get them all. Um, but that's because of my mindset, you know. Like I'm, yeah. I, you know, I, Andy will tell you. Since I've had shingles, if I get a rash, I'm like Andy, is that shingles? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, I, know, I know what you mean. But right, let's have a look then. So. Tamarin, I believe, just booked into base camp, um, which is well, awesome. Yeah, I, I spoke to Tamarin. You spoke to Tamarin this morning, didn't you? Um, yeah, so with regards to water filter bottles, so just to put it out there, back in February last year, uh, 2019, we introduced water filters in the pool, so, uh, and all of our trips now. So basically you don't need – I mean, you can take your own water bottle. There's no worries. I, I do. Just if you're next to a stream, you can fill up and you can drink straight out of it. Um, but we provide purified water on all of our trips now. Yeah. Um, you know, so you don't need to buy plastic bottles anymore. Um, we're big on this. Um, you know, it's made a big difference on all of our trips. You know, we've saved tens of thousands of plastic bottles on our trips and we're quite passionate about stopping that. Um, you know, especially in the pool because that's where it was, it was at its biggest issue. Um, also as well, it means you don't have to take any chlorine tablets because it does give you a heartburn. It's not good for you um but yeah in terms of water filter bottles you know we've definitely um you know we've used them ourselves uh so take one but you don't need them because you can yeah. just use our water filters that the guides actually do it all for you yeah to be honest i carry one um yeah. i've got a uh, life straw <coughs> excuse me so i've got two brilliant but um, yeah so uh, but the main reason i use it for so uh, weirdly is brushing my teeth so um yeah you know, particularly in nepal in Kili, because it's camping, anytime you have water near you, it's already being treated and it's fine to use. 
Yeah. But on Kilimanjaro, uh, on Everest, there's the tea houses, and quite often they'll have a tap or something like that from a water source. So if I wake up in the morning and I have my breakfast and I'm brushing my teeth, I'll fill it up with my water filter yeah. and then I'll use the water out my water filter to brush my teeth. Um, and that's pretty much it. Or, you know, take a bottle to bed with you and stuff like that so you've got something to drink in the night. That's the only reason I'll, I'll really have one. But um, even yeah. if you, all you ever did was bring a water bladder in your rucksack and a normal bottle, you're not going to go with that same water. Yeah, exactly. There's been um, loads of questions today, guys. Honestly, it's brilliant. It's great to see so many people on here again. Um, I know last week was nuts when we did the um, the live announcement for the competition, but this is great. Uh, I did have a we did have a question from Niaz again. He asked, um, "Sorry, Niaz, I, I, we sort of bumped over your question there, but you meant uh, what would the expect equipment cost for a trekking for a sleeping bag and jacket?" Well, if you're going on to Nepal, um, sleeping bag and your down jacket are actually included in Nepal, so you don't need to buy them. You can use ours free if you like. Um, some people like to get their own just because hygiene or just because they want to get one. You know, it's like as soon as you book a trip, you feel like you need to go to buy all the equipment. Just, you know, it's part of the journey, isn't it? I love doing that. Um, but if you want to save a few bob, you can you can use ours in the pool. In in places like Chile, Morocco, Peru, yeah, at the hotel, there's actually um, a space where you can actually rent those if you don't have them. Um, very cheap. You know, you're talking like for the like for instance in Kilimanjaro, I think it was only about twenty pounds, and you could hire it for the whole rack. Um, which is peanuts, really, and then you know you don't have to worry about carrying it over there, and um, you know, sort of getting yours dirty if you like. Just use, just use ours. So yeah, there's, there's one. I uh, hope that kind of answers your question. With regards to like cost of all your equipment, it depends on what you own, but generally, with regards to um, you know your equipment, if you're already into hiking in the UK or you know wherever you are, um, you've probably got most of it anyway. Yeah. You know, because it's you don't need any. Uh, Dave mentioned earlier you don't need any technically technical gear really. You know, unless you're doing any you know anything like Island Peak or Mera Peak um, or soon to be Aconcagua. Uh, yeah. You know, there will be where well, you might need some sort of climbing equipment. You don't really need any other equipment. Um, you know, technical equipment as such. So yeah, um, again, when it comes to costs, um, it depends on what you already own. Um, obviously, the more you need, then you know the more it, it'll cost. Yeah. Uh, we do have a, I believe, yeah, we do have an equipment list on our website on our knowledge center. I don't know if the social yeti is on here, but she can find that article and post it up. Yeah. Also, off Cotswold Outdoors. Don't forget that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so yeah, if you do want to, if you do buy anything from Cotswold Outdoors, you get fifteen percent off. Um, yeah. The code is in your members area. If you haven't got a members area, then email us and we'll uh, speak to you about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, exactly. You don't have to be like, although I have a lot of equipment, I'm not an equipment snob, you know? So like if I can find a, something that works just as well, you know, that cost me a fiver, then I'll buy it, you know? Also, it all depends. Like if I'm, if I need something quick and I'm only going to use it once or twice, uh, I'll just get the cheapest stuff that I can get, you know, just to get by if, uh, because we tend to use that kit a lot and, you know, I like it to last years then I have found that the more expensive stuff that you buy just lasts longer uh, because it's better made and better materials and stuff like that. But certainly if you're just getting started, you don't have to spend a huge amount. I used to get all my base layers from Aldi. Yeah, you did, yeah, before the first base camp trip, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And it was, they were they were great. I still use some of them now, to be honest. But, um, yeah. That's... <laughs> Sorry, I just saw Reese's comment there. Is it true you buy everyone's beer on the trip? I'd love to, Reese. I'd love to. Um, yeah, if you're ever out hiking with me or anything, yeah, I'll definitely buy you a beer. <laughs> um, he, said, he said all the beer. 
All the beer. Wow. Okay. Um, not all the beer. Not all the beer, unfortunately, Reese. Um, but no, we certainly like to keep hydrated and make sure that uh, you know. It, on an on an altitude trip, we're always sort of keen to point out that you know you don't want to drink on the way up, but once it's done, you know, on the way down, you know, having a beer and and celebrating your achievements, what you want, it's great. I mean, you know, we always tend to have a few beers after, um, even if it's in the UK. You know, on our training weekends, we tend to after a full day's walking. We'll go and sit in a nice little country pub and dissect the day over a pint of Guinness. Brilliant. Or maybe some um, cookie That yeah, well, that's a different story there. There might be some dancing involved, Dave. Yeah, hang on. So yeah, there is a special. <laughs> You've got your little yeah, that's a, a little gift from Nepal, right? Little gift from Nepal, yeah. So when I was there in October, um, Anuj gave me this. It's a shame to drink it. I thought about it, just filling it with Coke or something, but um. Yeah, that's the kukri of kukris, that bad boy. <laughs> that is very, very high at high end. Um, well, look, we're, we're going through now. We've, we've, I think we've answered all the questions there, Dave. But look, it's been awesome to have everyone on again today. I know we've, we've been almost an hour again, but so these fly by these Q&As. Crazy. I hope that's been valuable for you. Um, apologies if there's certain questions as we're going through we haven't picked it up, but we will try and sort of go through. Um, if you have any big ones, don't forget you can just go onto the website, use the Messenger bot. Send us, um, there's a message here at the bottom right, just send us a little message there. Email info at evertrek.co.uk or even send us a little Facebook message to the inbox, um, to the Evertrek page. Um, but yeah, Dave, it's been great. Another, another yeah. good, nice talk about asthma and obviously eventually we went on to equipment. Yeah, it's awesome. I did notice earlier that Olivia and now Kim has said it, do we podcast these episodes? So yeah, if you check out the mm-hmm. main Malaki podcast yeah. um, on wherever you get your podcasts or apple podcasts or wherever spotify or yeah, yeah anyway mountain malarkey podcast is our podcast and all of yeah. these episodes including some that we record specifically just for the podcast are going to in fact we're going to do a podcast this uh, this week aren't we and we're going to record yeah that. yeah so separately i mean we, we put these as podcasts because we you know we had some feedback we also on youtube as well so if you don't if you don't quite you can re-watch these um, yeah. We don't pop them into YouTube normally by Thursday. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we appreciate not everyone's on Facebook, so we always put these on. Um, and then plus we've had people saying, look, go into the gym, can you, you know, podcast. So we put them on podcast so you can just listen to us instead of just watching. Um, but no, it's been great. It's been um, really nice. Great to have so many questions. Um, yeah. You know, be back next week. Um, obviously, if you're, if you're part of the community and, and you've, you've entered the competition, you might have had, um some discount code sent to you don't forget you've still got uh i think it's seven, yeah seven days left yeah so anything around you know booking a trip with us whether that killy you know ebc you know to everest or island peak or machu picchu whatever it is just fire it our way that's what we're here for awesome great stuff cheers dave uh but thanks very much guys we'll catch you next week thank you guys speak to you soon bye bye Awesome. So I hope you enjoyed the uh, another episode of the Mountain Malarkey podcast. Um, yeah, that was something a little bit different, wasn't it, from the Tuesday tune-in, but I hope yeah. you enjoyed it. I must say, you were brilliant on that episode, Ant. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks. Now, if, uh, if you've enjoyed it, don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. Um, you know, all these uh, podcasts we put together, the episodes, trying to reach as many people as possible. And if it's helped you, leave us a lovely review. Um, and yeah, we'll see you again next week. Yeah, all the best, guys. Bye. <laughs> I'm going to go